0: You are, you are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Hey, Josh Felber
1: here, 2023, super excited. We got amazing content, amazing guests. Today's episode, guys, if you guys own a business at all, whether you have one employee, whether you have 50 or 100 employees you gotta check out today's episode. If you love Making Bank, you maybe even just like it a little bit, uh, make sure you guys share this episode, like this episode, send those comments down below, and just really honored and appreciate your time that you're spending uh, listening or watching Making Bank today, so thank you again. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Filber, where we uncover the mindset and the success (laughs) strategies of the top 1%, so you can amplify your life and your business today super excited and honored for today's guest Brandon Dawson Cameron Harold Dan Martell, John Lewissay Kyle McDowell, Ryan Blair, Larry Brinker Jr so you mentioned the different breakpoints I mean obviously we have a lot of listeners that are in that one five 10 million and I'm guessing those are different breakpoints based on what you just said and also knowing some of <laughs> the training and stuff I've been through with you and everything but um what what uh, kind of what is that what are those breakpoints in that first section there? And then what should people be looking for? What is that hurdle that they're hitting? Why they're not moving past that to that next level?
2: Well, the one to three million is purely, you know, the what what you do has to work. I mean, you got to get your service deliverable down. You got to get your product offering down. So I always say that the startup phase, 100,000 to 3 million is if the what works, if there's demand for product or service. That's no reason One reason businesses fail, there's no demand for product or service. So you go out and you start a business thinking people are going to want to buy something from you, but you either can't articulate your message, you have a flawed strategy, or people just quite honestly don't care because they don't see it the way you see it. So you got to sort that out. But once you sort that out, and 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 the easiest way not to make that mistake, by the way, there's two forms of innovation. Most people confuse innovation starting a business with Elon Musk, who says, I'm going to radically engineer a different way of doing something. I'm going to send human beings to Mars in my lifetime, and I'm going to I'm going to invent how to do that. That's That's radical innovation. Like that's a pure form of innovation. The innovation people in business should ascribe to is Jim Collins' innovation, which is granular incremental improvement on the things that you can prove works. And so in business, that's a safer form of innovation. So once you know what you do works, you must always and constantly innovate it to be better, to make more money, to improve in your deliverable, to improve in your product offering. And so, if you can do that and get up to 3 million and be profitable somewhere between 18 and 30% of profitability, you have a real business that no matter what you do, as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical, because those other conditions will catch up to you, can easily become a $25 million business if you just technically understand that break point two now becomes who you do it with, like the people you surround yourself with, the expectations you have for them. The inspiration they have to help push the business to the next level of success. And if you get the right people and surround yourself with the right people and they're working together and you start in the middle of breakpoint two process documentation, by the time you get between eight and 15 million, you will have had to develop you and two other people to be three leaders in the business. You'll have to have a visionary who doesn't get bogged down in the details, doesn't get distracted with the transactional aspect. You have to have a builder, someone who's pushing on the things that you can prove works and making sure everybody's doing it the right way. And then you need the manager or the integrator, as Gina Wickman would call it, where they're making sure the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, process improvements in place, your systems are working, you're sending out invoices, you're collecting money. And so, so you need those three people by the time you get to 15 million, or what happens statistically is you collapse backwards because you're trying to do it all yourself and no human being can carry the blunt of managing all those people and being everywhere at every time and trying to randomize the business and figure it all out. So, man, I, I tell you, we've charted and reverse engineered thousands of businesses across those breakpoints. And it doesn't matter what industry, it doesn't matter what sector, those breakpoints are as certain as gravity. Mm.
1: And what, um, as you're growing then and you're building your team, I guess, you know, a lot of times I know we get questions like, you know, how do I know when to hire more people? How do I know when to, you know, expand my team? with, is it based on how much profit am I making total sales or when I can't handle the load anymore? Like, what is that? How do you guys measure that or figure that out?
2: I mean, we have a very specific process that we have people follow. And I know you know that because you've been through it. It's, it's, it's too long to try to explain in a, in a 20 minute or 30 minute podcast. But what I can tell you is that there's, Three to five very specific factors that if you can start mapping to those factors at 100 grand in revenue, so you start, you know what those five targets are and you live within those five targets. And, and I'll give you a, um, an example of a couple of them. One would be revenue per employee. Like if you can figure out how to generate between $250,000 and $500,000 of revenue per employee. Now, some people be like, well, but if I'm all by myself, yeah, exactly. You're going to have to figure out how to do $250 to five hundred dollars by yourself. Then if you can maintain whatever that target is between two fifty and five hundred, and the reason that's a range is because over four thousand oh, dollar, over four thousand different businesses, it, it it differs, right? So so statistically, now based on the specific industry you want to get into, you should know what the number is that you can achieve. Mm. Um once sure. you know what the highest valued number is, it it becomes there's a pin in it. It doesn't change, it doesn't go down, it only goes up. So revenue per employee, then revenue, of course, is a target, and then uh, profitability. And if you get revenue per employee, revenue, and profitability, those three things. Once you know what those three things are, you do not let your business deviate other than improvement. And if you stick with that rule, you'll build a high-valued business system because you won't go through decline because you won't al- you won't allow yourself to go through decline. You'll find the things that will create more value through the people that you have now how you do all that you got to go through our program because it isn't it isn't a 3 minute explanation it's a process and the thing that the thing that strikes me as i guess most curious over the last 20 years of my career is i was looking for this kind of help on how to grow and scale there really wasn't any people were just push push harder do more get more people uh, be better like those aren't really answers and so i started attending some of these how to build a unicorn business from Wharton or Harvard you know people that and they would give you these Hire good people and set big targets and do great things. and you know, it's, it's like it's like a have process. Okay, well that's, that's great. But, but how? Because what I have found is in those breakpoints from the research, the actual punching through and getting to the other side is, is, requires resilience, uh, strategic timing, high awareness, understanding and these are things that aren't taught. The, the The reason it's so hard to be an entrepreneur is because they're learned through trial and error. So I had an idea 15 years ago, and that was you can't go build an apartment complex or a 10-story building if you don't go engineer the, the plans, if you don't go and work with an architect, if you don't go and pull permits, if you don't go and have city inspectors come by and check on your building. Why? Because in A hundred years ago, buildings would collapse and kill everybody. And so they put rules in place. The only place those rules didn't exist was in the small business category. You can try to build a business any way you want, no matter how dangerous, no matter how crazy. And And I thought, what if I engineered and pioneered the architectural and design process from startup to 125 million? And so that sent us on a quest of what are the most valuable businesses that had done it? how did they do it what are the smallest businesses that are working their way to that what do they not have versus what the big businesses have and and people would say oh well you know how do you figure all that out trust me the private equity groups have figured it out they have a name for everything and like one name they have is a platform company a platform company is where you have expertise across 10 elements in business you're doing at least 125 million in revenue and you're making at least 22% ebitda And you have leadership, you have a product and service that works, you have a technology mapping to it, you have financial acumen, you have a sales marketing strategy, you have data strategy, like like they know what it is. And if they know what it is, then if you're a business owner and you want to strive to become successful, you too should know exactly what that is and educate yourself. And so that's the business I started. I partnered with Grant Cardone. And in 50 months, we have a billion and a half dollars of businesses we partnered with or that are under management. We have a business that from startup using the same principles we teach, we did $83 million in our third year of business with no capital, no debt. We've generated since startup, pure startup, me and two other people, rule three, we started up in June of 19. And between June of 19 and the end of this year, we generated $162 million in revenue with $60 million of profit. And we've taken that profit and we've bought technology, we've bought other parts to support our business. And we're showing our business owners how to do exactly
1: what we do. It's just a simple game that we learned as kids. Follow the leader. Yeah, for sure. What? And actually, it's interesting because everything you talk about, you guys are not guessing. It's all based on data and information. Whereas I know a lot of times as business owners and we're starting or we're growing or maybe we're five years in, we tend to still be guessing.
2: Well, think about this. Building a business is simply trial and error because there isn't right. a blueprint. There, there there it's not like you know, when you think of the ten elements to become a platform company, you've got strategy, you have marketing, you have sales, you have people, you have operations, you have finance, you have leadership, you have data, you have technology systems, and 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 then you have investment thesis. If if you start a business and you're at a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand or three million, I mean, none of that stuff, you're you're not an expert in any of it. You can't afford to hire anybody who's an expert in any of it, and, and that's true for the, each one of those breakpoints. If you grow to breakpoint two and you're doing $6 million in revenue, you're not going to go hire somebody who built a $50 million company. They wouldn't go to work for you because you're too small unless you give them half your business, and then when you do that and then they don't work for you, now you're screwed, which is another <laughs> thing that happens. People misuse and misalign equity all the time. So look, the only way to find out is trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. Go with your gut. Did it work? Did it not work? And and if you're if you're a victim of circumstance, you won't learn from it. If you're curious of how did you make the decision? Why did you go with those people? Why did you run those ads? Why did you not do a better job of finding the right people, onboarding the right people, executing with the right people? Why did you not why did you put your brother in law and your sister in law in charge of accounting and sales and then not hold them accountable and then yell at the rest of your employees for not doing their job when they see you're not really serious about the business because you don't want to take on your own family. I mean, these are all decisions individual entrepreneurs make in real time all day. And usually most of the decisions they make don't have anything to do with furthering the business and being successful. It has to do with the politics or dynamics of trying to get money or friends and family capital and trying to pitch their deal and trying to hire an employee to get them to work, and being mad and being frustrated all the time. Like none of that's going to be helpful. So we just teach business owners how to cut through all the bullshit, go straight to success, Because here's the thing I've learned. If you have two things, two things only, you can become successful in business. The problem is the only way to get those two things is to trial and error. So it's long, it's tedious, it's problematic, and it's devastating in in many cases. The two things is context and contrast. Until you've had enough experience that you have context for if I make a decision, what, what do I expect to have happen? And contrast, if I do it differently, how can I get a better result? Until you gain the knowledge and awareness and build a team that has knowledge and awareness around those two things, then it's purely trial and error.
1: And, and that is the single hardest way to do anything. What's a couple of things through the different companies you've worked with over the years from a growth standpoint that people need to take a look at and do in their business to go from that one to five, the five to ten?
3: Yeah, so and I call it the ones and threes. You go from one to three, from three to 10, 10 to 30, 30 to 100, they're defined points. When you're going from one to three, it's hiring a couple of good people that you really like that are good at a whole bunch of general things, but they're not experts. When you go to 10, it's about hiring your first person that can manage people. They're not an expert, but they're good good at, at project management, they're good at time management, they're good at getting shit done, they're good at delegation, and people like them. When you go to 30... It's about getting your first management team in place, probably four or five people that manage everybody else in the business for you. You have to like them. You have to respect them. They have to be good at people. They have to be good at their domain expertise. Not again, necessarily deep domain experts, but good enough that, you know, you've got some confidence in them. When you go from 30 to hundred employees, that's when you hire your first leadership team, deep domain expertise, none of those five or six people reporting to you you couldn't do their job anymore they're just way better at that specific area than you are and your job is to align people to grow people to remove obstacles from people almost to flip the org chart upside down those are kind Mm. of some of the people things and then i think that at at every stage of the company we need to invest in our people right the more we grow their skills the more we grow their confidence the more they'll grow the company for us and that's great What, um like what are some key points
1: or some key ideas there investing back in those employees like what are like hey you know these are great things to do for that
3: yeah I mean one you know one is a dead obvious for me is I, I launched a course a, a year and a half ago called invest in your leaders and it's got the 12 core leadership skills that all managers need to be good at that most entrepreneurs have never been trained in you know I'll give you an example you've hired people before right you've done job interviews for sure yes how much training have you ever had on doing interviews? Just what you can learn and read and try to figure out. (laughs) So, you've never really had a formal instruction, not a formal training, right? Right. Uh, Imagine being an, being a, the, the, do we know any of the best athletes in the world that have just read some books on it? No. They've had coaches, they've practiced, they've role played, they've, they've, you know, trained on stuff, they've, they've watched videotapes of it all. That's training. How much training have you ever had on delegating or on time management or on coaching? or on situational leadership, or on running effective meetings, or on handling conflict, none. Right. We have all these entrepreneurial organizations that are trying their best, but have never had any training other than reading a book. And then, so then we have the blind leading the blind, and we have all these entrepreneurs running around saying business is difficult. No, business is really fucking simple. If you would actually train your employees, like we would train, you know, your kids are, are getting training at actually driving race cars, or kids right. training at playing football, well, let's train our employees, train our managers on the 12 core leadership skills. Business gets really simple at that point, right? Then then it's about getting more shit done with less people faster. That's what I did at one got junk That's what I work behind the scenes with companies on is growing their skill set around not what they do, but how they do it. I think that's super important. When, what you just mentioned
1: as well is they're hiring people to Buy back the pieces of their time that they're already spending on those tasks or those jobs or whatever that might be, instead of just like, oh, hey, I need a social media person over here, even though you maybe only be doing one post a day or whatever that might be. Yeah, part
4: time. You just hire somebody on a contractor. You don't need full time. And now in the book, I talk about if you want to have a full time person, then I recommend that they double up and give them multiple hats. Because when I started business, I wore 25 hats, right. right? I was the bookkeeper, the copywriter, the social media publisher, the the doer, the salesperson, the follow-upper, the customer onboarder, the, you know, everything, right? The ops person. So, you know, for example, recently, this has just happened about a month ago, my creative director had a social media marketing person working on his team. They were underperforming. And instead of backfilling it with somebody new, I shared with them the concept, I said, you have this other person who's a videographer that's 30 hours a week. Why don't you give the videographer the extra 10 hours and ask them to write the copy for the content? Since they're watching the content every day, they literally watch everything we do times two. They probably are gonna write better copy. Dude, it's been a game changer. So instead of having two people, right? And in business, anytime you add an extra person, it's not 5% harder. It's exponential to the power of the total size of the team. Okay, so I'm not getting into that, but it's not, it's it is that difficult. People think it's easy, I'll just add another person. No, that person has a heck of a lot of complexity. Instead of having two people on his team, now he has one and you have a person that's more streamlined, and literally the outcome of that work is being done better. So yeah, if you can't, if you really, really, really want a full time person, give them a few other things to do. Like your social media person can also do accounts receivable. Sounds crazy, but it's not. Like, stop being fancy train somebody, ask them to do the work, hire them with the expectation that they're going to do the work. They're going to learn a lot doing it. And then once they get busy, you almost use the buyback principle for them, right? My assistant has- That was my next question. Totally. (laughs) Can you use that for the
1: employee then to hire another one to help? Only if it's a bottleneck to you to
4: grow. Gotcha. That's the caveat. Okay. Yes. That's why in the book, I talk about the replacement ladder it's sequenced in that order because it's the natural bottleneck that will happen to a CEO at each stage of growth. So that's why I gave you the very specific sequencing of hiring. Sure. Not, not because that person's at capacity that you hire somebody, but because you can't push forward in your goals because they don't have the bandwidth to support you. That's when it applies. Um, Gotcha. Okay.
1: And then, so you've mentioned a few times, kind of like a hiring order for the CEO as the business owner what i mean what does that look like i mean are we hiring you know, i guess what is that word look like <laughs> so, cuz everybody just goes out and hires like a front desk person and this person over here and this person over here oh no here. no 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 no
4: yeah like i mean again i wrote this book for business owners of all sizes it's cool because it can work if you're the ceo of a fortune 50 company cuz sometimes i coach those people and it'll also work if you're you know a solopreneur you know with a lawn mowing truck right which is fun Now it's right here. It's page ninety-six. Okay, so page ninety-six talks about the replacement ladder. What I'll I'll give you the order, but people go get the book if you want the outcomes because this is the the order is interesting. But where people hundred percent mess it up is what do they actually ask that person to do? Okay, Uh, and that's like even the first one, admin. Okay, level one, admin. If you think. When I say admin, it's a virtual assistant that you just CC on an email to have a person schedule a call with you. You're missing a huge opportunity. Like huge as in like 98% of the value you could be getting if you restructure it the way I teach it in here. And I even give the folder shot, I mean, this is how much like I wrote it for, look at this, I give you the full folder, email processing system that I use every day. You've been on the receiving end of it, Josh. You, you see how the, oh, the yeah. machine works. <laughs> um, so that's level one is admin. Level two is delivery, right? So it's fulfillment. It's anything that is involved post-sale. Somebody buys from you and then they need to be onboarded and supported. That's somebody else. Uh, third level is marketing, okay? Because most people don't have a repeatable, predictable way to generate leads. So that's the next level. Level four is sales. Once you have somebody generating leads, somebody else should start taking your calls only once your calendar is at capacity. I had a friend of mine call me the other day and they're like, yeah, I got to hire a sales. I read your book, hiring a salesperson. I was like, cool. How many sales calls do you do a week? Four. You don't need a salesperson. (laughs) What do you mean? I was like, why isn't it 15 to 20? Well, I don't have enough leads. Yep. Go back to page 96, reread it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) why don't you have the marketing figure out? I don't have enough time to create the system. All right, level two, what's going on? Yeah, I'm still involved in the fulfillment too much. Okay, do you have an assistant? (laughs) I do, but I don't use them the way you talk about in the book. I'm like, (laughs) dude, I don't know what you want me to do. I drew you an epic picture. Can you please just follow the book? Like, because again, you know what was gonna happen, Josh? Because I've seen this happen a thousand times. He would have hired a salesperson. The person wouldn't have had enough calls. They would have lasted three to four months and they would have quit. Right. Because who's going to sit around not having deal flow and they're getting paid a low base with a commission, but there's no money to be made. They will literally last three to four months and you will have to cycle through a salesperson, not because they're not capable, because you didn't follow the sequencing in the right order. That's why I put it that way. And then level five, you got to get the book. I'm going to leave that one out. It's powerful though.
1: And what's kind of the whole message or thought process behind that, um, you know, be the lifeguard of your own life?
5: It's unlike in a hurricane. No one's going to come rescue you when disaster happens. And we've all embraced disaster and change and disruption with the pandemic, right? Did anybody come help you? No. You had to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Like you're going to be homeschooling your kids. If you've got kids, you're going to have to figure out how to set your home office up. You're going to have to do, you're not going to be able to do all the, you know, you're like, well, I got to be my own lifeguard. We're in a disruptive situation. And so whether you get laid off from a job is what my TEDx talk was about, or you get, deal through a pandemic or, or less yesterday, I was on an airplane coming back from a talk in Ottawa, Canada, and we were on the jetway at six thirty in the morning and they go, everybody back the uh, FAA has announced that there's a problem with the computers and no one's flying into the States until they figure that out. It's going to be three hours minimum. I gotta be my own lifeguard. I'm on my phone, booking my next, you know, I'm never going to make that connection back to Austin. I got to figure out that, you know, if this, I got to, not sit passively waiting for the airline to figure out how to rebook me because all the seats will be gone by then, right? Because somebody else who knows how to use their phone will be taking whatever seats are open on the next flight out uh, because I'm definitely missing my connection. So that is an example of being the lifeguard of your own life.
1: No, that's great. Uh, We got a little bit of time left. Um, What's something you're like, oh man, I was hoping Josh was going to ask me this or I know I really need to share it because it's going to make a huge impact on the listeners.
5: I would say that my big mission in life is to help as many people as possible get off the self-esteem roller coaster. I was on it. It's exhausting. You only feel good about yourself if you're winning and you're hitting your goals and you feel bad if you've got a rejection or you're laid off or whatever else might happen. That who we are is bigger than any one thing happening to us at any time. So think of yourself as the movie director of your own life. Zoom out and say, I can yell, cut, I can recast this. I can change the location. I don't have to keep playing out this horror movie in my head of what the future is going to be because a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of sleepless nights worrying about the future. Say cut, be in the present moment and realize that who you are is bigger than any one thing happening to you.
1: Mm, that's great. Kind of give us what's your definition that you look at as a boss and a leader kind of give us that breakdown. So it kind of clarifies some stuff.
0: Yeah. And man, I got to tell you, I think that's where a lot of people who have direct reports get it wrong is so a boss is someone that checks boxes. They are always ready to call you out or point out your errors or, or where you're lacking in terms of your delivery, the product that you bring to the team. Whereas a leader who has a lot of those same obligations as a boss, the hiring, the firing, the discipline, things that come with, you know, kind of leading an organization or a team. But the major difference is the leader actually cares. They care enough to empower, to inspire, and to provide a purpose and reinstate or instill that passion that a lot of us lose throughout our career journey. So, you know, anyone can be a boss, by the way. Sure. Anyone can be, it's, it's not, it's not hard to be a boss. It's, when you transform from that boss position into a leader where you know you're having an impact and you know those around you, they'll essentially run for a wall, run through a wall for you. Why? Because they know that you'll do it for them. Um, so it's a big difference. A lot of the same similarities uh, in terms of day-to-day functions, but the empowering and inspiring and finding passion and purpose is where the leadership really makes hay.
1: No, that's, that's interesting. What do you see, like what does it take then to kind of go from that boss mentality or the mindset to that leader, uh, mindset.
0: Yeah, I think everyone needs to do a personal inventory and you've got to ask yourself, what am I good at? What am I not good at and how do I get better at those things that I am not good at? And by the way, I think it's really important to ask others, what am I good at? What am I not good at? And there's a, there's a theme through that approach, uh, Josh, that really is capitalizing on vulnerability. So once I can recognize my areas of opportunity, and be really proud about the strengths that I have. I need to be vulnerable enough to share both with my team. And there's, a, there's several reasons why you want to do that. Being vulnerable with the team obviously highlights the, the opportunities that you have. But guess what? They're already well aware of your opportunities. Those that report to you are well aware of your weaknesses. So being open about it makes you relatable. And that allows you and the team to kind of bond on a, on a different level than boss giving orders and making it less transactional and more relationship-driven. So once you do that inventory, I think it's absolutely critical that the leader state their principles. And a principle, Josh, very simply is a fundamental truth. It's something we hold to be true. And as the leader, I want my team to understand the principles by which I operate because those are the same principles I expect them to operate within and I think that's, that's lacking in a lot of companies today is here are the six, eight, 10 set. Here's a principle list that we will operate by and use every single day. That way, when someone deviates or there's ambiguity in behavior, you can call them out. And it's not right. one direction either, by the way, as your leader, when I walk through and state my principles, if you see me deviate from those in the vulnerable uh, culture of excellence that I like to uh, create that the, the employee, the team understands, not only do they have the right to point out my error, they're obligated. So I think once you do the inventory, once you state your principles, then you have to lead by example and live them every day.
1: Obviously kind of coming from that gang entrepreneur mindset and everything. What did you kind of take from that to start to apply to really jumpstart your entrepreneurs, you know, growth?
6: Well, one, I can read people very well. I can smell a person's intent and I can tell when a person's full of because you know, in, in the streets, that's all you do all day long is you right. have to read people, you have to determine if this person is going to be trustworthy, they're going to rat on you, if they're going to come back, try to rob you, kill you, hurt your family, uh, get you arrested if they're an undercover cop. So, you develop this intuition and these senses for people when you live in poverty. And I had that, and so I, you know, had the ability to attract good people, I had the ability to. Stay clear from bad people, and I wasn't perfect at that, but I had, you know, a, a decent understanding and a decent intuition about people, and I knew you know, when a person was in an entrepreneurship we call it a killer. And gangs, the killer is a different definition, but I knew when a person was, you know, a, a strong individual with strong character and determination and self control and willpower, and I admired those people, and I cultivated a character, you know, of that, and that was how I was able to. Surround myself with some pretty great people and execute at a pretty high level because you know my mindset was one built on strength as opposed to uh, you know, one built on weakness, which a lot of people, you know, when you grow up really comfortable, it's very easy to cultivate a mindset and cultivate a character base that isn't very strong. And that's, you know, that's a a a pain that can be equal to growing up in an environment where you don't have much. An environment where you have too much can equally create a similar amount of pain.
1: So kind of, you know, as people are listening to this and maybe they're kind of in that environment where they're like, oh, you know, you know, I got things good and everything. What, What's kind of those three top things you'd say, okay, hey, these are some things you need to be doing right now to make sure you have that killer or that strong mindset, that mindset that's going to help push you forward instead of just keep you comfortable?
6: Yeah, that... The way that I would identify that is, you know, if you're in pain right now because you feel that you have untapped potential, which I have been in that position, even on the top of the entrepreneurial mountain with you know, tens of millions in the bank, hundreds of millions in profit a year and, you know, 600 plus million dollar company. But I was, I felt that there was, a, there was a deep part of me that was untapped and I didn't know how to tap into that. And the way that you tap into that is, you know, by doing everything you can to stimulate growth in your life. You have to humble yourself and become a student. You have to step out of your comfort zone. You have to surround yourself with people that are also, you know, on, on a, an aggressive growth path, plan and path. And you have to basically make your life about your growth. And the more that you grow, the more that you will tap into that untapped potential, the less pain that you'll feel. And when you're growing, you're not comfortable. Like if you're really growing, right. it, I hate to tell this to you, but the life that I live is one that I grow so much that, you know, I might get a day of comfort a week, but the other six of them, I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm testing my, my limits. I'm pushing myself. I'm learning more about myself. I'm, I'm just so growing so fast that I am embracing and dancing with the challenges and I'm anything but comfortable and, and, you know, the state that I'm in because. I've organized my life and my practices and the people that I surround myself with to be as growth oriented as I possibly can.
1: What's one thing you're like, oh man, I really wanted to hope as Josh was going to ask me this direction, but I really want to share it and just, you know, yeah. let everybody know out so, there before we wrap up.
7: So it's interesting because as you were just talking, I thought about something that I really wanted to make sure that I got across and you asked the question. So it's perfect. One thing that I feel is super important for entrepreneurs is to not only build your team the right way, but to trust your team, but to give your team accountability. Give them the autonomy to feel invested in what they're doing, right? Because if you're a micromanager, what's gonna happen? If you're a a micromanager as an entrepreneur, you're gonna hit the ceiling where you can only go so high because no one in your your, uh, company will have the accountability or the autonomy to feel vested to go above and beyond. What's going to happen is they're going to say, well, we're going to leave this choice up to the owner because if he or she makes the wrong decision. It's not on me, right? Right? It's not my, my problem. Whereas if you build a team where you give people that autonomy, you make them feel like they have a real voice in the company. Obviously, one thing that's worked well for, for us is we created a strategic plan. Every year we update that strategic plan, but it's a five-year plan that gets updated every year. So those are our swim lanes. Those are the confines of our business in terms of our strategic plan. Now within that, there's a ton of tasks, there's a ton of blocking and tackling. There's also continued strategic ideation that goes on throughout the course of that year, that you can give that over to your employees to make them feel vested, knowing from your perspective that you're comfortable because those swim lanes are there. Now, by doing so, we've seen not only the accountability goes up between executives, but then it's a different messaging that comes across to the employees from leadership because they feel that they're making these decisions. So therefore, as they message it down or communicate it down to employees, They're communicating it differently where it's not like, well, hey, Larry told us to do this, so we're going to tell you, you need to do it too. But by them being involved, they're saying, hey, we really need you to do this because it's important because of A, B, and C. And this is the outcome that will happen if you do this. And this is how it's better for you and your family and the business. I would say just build your team with the best talent you can get. Trust your team. Give your team accountability. Give your team the autonomy to feel like they're invested. And then don't be a micromanager. Uh, Ultimately, the best entrepreneurs will put themselves in a place where their team doesn't even want them around half of the time because that is the sign of a good entrepreneur that their team has it under control. They feel invested. You're providing that vision and that direction and resources. But ultimately, your team is a lot smarter than you are.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's, that's huge. I think is kind of like what you're talking about with that is, you know, really empowering your team to take extreme ownership, whether it's the successes, whether it's the, fa- and, you know, in the failures, you know, it's right. don't pass off as it, you make excuses, you know, own what you're doing and, and, and own your lane and, and own what you do. And I think that's huge. And sometimes it's the hardest thing to <laughs> yeah. get the team to, you know, do, but it start, starts with us. You know, as the owner, the entrepreneur and everything down. So,
7: and it goes back to what I said earlier is understanding personalities, right? Because as Mm. you build that team, you'll know the strong points, the weaknesses or how someone mentally based on their personality will approach something. And the more that you can help mold that team to be cohesive, the more you're going to get people who traditionally think like a regular employee, you, can kind of transfer that 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 like per, that uh, perspective over to a perspective of an entrepreneur. Now, will they ever be an entrepreneur like the owner? Most likely not, but they'll be more of an entrepreneur thinking person that ultimately helps the success of the company as well.
1: For sure. Actually, it's kind of funny. Um, we were going back and we were watching some of our our kids are about our boys are about twelve now and. They had started to shoot their own vlog probably about four or five years ago. And we were watching one of the videos the other day, and our one son was talking about. He's like, you don't have to just be an owner to be an entrepreneur. You can actually work for the company as an employee and be an entrepreneur within the company and be successful at what you're doing right there. So it's super funny that that's (laughs) what you're talking about today. We were just listening to this last night, this video I found. That's awesome. got to watch this again. This was was so good and smart at eight years old or seven years old at the time. That's (laughs) awesome. I am Josh Filbert. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary